Good evening, fellow acolytes. I'm your hungry, hungry Sith Lord, Ty, and here with me, as always, for this very special episode of Explicit Content X-Rated, my I'm, wife. I'm Kaylee. Kaylee. Uh, we're just going to dive right into this. There's no mincing, uh, dicing, slicing. We're just going to... Why not... Get, I, I, did, I, should, I was trying to make like a dancing noise and I couldn't do it. It sounded like you had a tick. Like. I know. Shit. Now I'm going to get like shit on for that. Yeah. <laughs> Followers are like, that's not cool, man. I'm like, you know what? You're right. <sighs> anyway, uh, we are a Star Wars podcast <laughs> that implies family, that implies all-inclusive. We cover the books chapter by chapter we cover the series by episode we cover runs by issue we cover movies by movies meaning you just get the movies you can follow us on instagram twitter uh youtube and the tiktok at wayfinder pod you can follow me on twitter at jabba one oh one ga i was like where are you going with that uh you can follow me on the twitter at darth lady shaw Yep, and um, we got merch uh, Etsy that's currently empty. Uh, took some stuff off there, uh, but you can go to our Tea Public uh, Teespring. Tea- Jesus, Teespring Tea Public sucks ass. They always take my shit down. Go to our uh, Teespring, uh, buy our stuff. So, with that being said, welcome to the High Republic. Centuries before the rise of the Empire, prosperity, pioneering, and adventure marked the era of the High Republic. Chapter. 31. Deep Space. Republic Longbeam. Aurora 3. Pages 263 to 276, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is correct. Oh my god, I got it right. And the very first sentence is, pick a Adrian stretched. Oh yeah. Flashback, flashback, flashback. Okay, flashback. So we have a few flashbacks. So last time uh, we saw Pika and Joss Adrian was when they were aboard the Panacea and they were talking like Beriaga, well, talking about Beriaga. Beriaga? Beriaga? Beriaga. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's okay. We have an episode titled Beriaga. Oh, that's fantastic. Just for you. Thanks. Um,. And that's when we found out about Surge and Oops. That's when I did we it again. I fell from it. Go ahead, sorry. Stop wasting time. Okay. That's when we found out about Surge and how he sliced into the legacy run system and so forth. Um then we also have Lorna D, which the last time we saw Lorna D was when she was talking to Marky on Row in like a Hollow chat, I guess. Is that what you would call it? A hollow chat? This It's like a chat room. my Skype call. But a hollow? A hollow chat? Hollow cat? ASL? Meow. Um, ASL. If you don't know what ASL is, you're too young. I thought you said ESL for a second. I was like, what does that have to do with it? No, I said ASL. <laughs> um, so that was the last time we saw her. And then we also have Taami tear running down my face and Mikkel Soupmani tattooed like Drax does Drax have a tear tattoo I don't I mean I have no tattoos I'm like the only female 
millennial that does not have tattoos, I feel like. Oh my god, daddy issue scarred on my skin. Anyway, go ahead. What? It's like every millennial woman. It's like, I have parent issues. Well, just because they have I parents. didn't get an allowance. <laughs> I don't no, know. No, I mean, there's millennials out there. No, obviously. That, just, you know. Just the ones I know. They're oh. like crawling in my skin. Tattoos I will not feel. Like. Hey, we as a generation had some issues, okay? Just go with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not discounting that. I have issues. Uh, yeah. Don't you? But my skin's clean. I'm, I'm better. My shit doesn't stink, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. I'm, this is all facetious. I'm kidding. All satire. <sighs> kind of. No, I'm just No, my shit does stink. It's yeah, shit. Yeah, I know. It, it's, anyway. It's poo. <laughs> anyway. Um... What was I talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, Tayami and Mikel Supmani. Last time we saw them was uh, when they... It was it was way back there. It was like in one of the teen chapters before part one was over. Um, where they used the Agarian silk with Joss and Adra Pick... Joss and Picka Adrian. I saw Joss and Adra Picka. Wow. With Joss and Picka Adrian... <laughs> Uh, to stop one of the anomalies from hitting something in the space. In the in the space? Wow. And uh, I'll be completely honest. I was unaware that Mikkel Soutmani was of the male variety um, up until this point. I really thought that he was of the female variety. And I was like, okay. So Mikkel Soutmani <laughs> sounds like a fancy dance. I just wanted to point that out. Does it? Teami and the Mikasumani. So this is a completely like different. Sounds like an 80s song. This is a completely different note, okay? So I was listening to Into the Dark today, right? And um, Oh my God, you're learning stuff. Yeah, and then I found out about um, Leox being uh, asexual. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man. He's just like, up oh, with that, I cannot put. Yeah, he was like, you know, I have a lot of extra time because I don't partake in it. And I was like, you know what? What I find interesting Good about. Good life, I guess. What I find interesting about that whole thing where like he's talking to um um Affy Hollow, right? Affy. Mm-hmm. Um is like he goes into like this really intellectual conversation. It was about, like a five minute like yeah, thing about, about himself. And, and like yeah. Like identity and also the the very notion or the fact that um like just being attracted to one person or one kind is almost counterproductive right. like he's the free spirit well because because the whole thing you know came up because Affy was like so why why do you think my mom put me with you and he's like because you're safe and so he's going into his whole identity thing and then he's like you know geode over there he's not like set to go into his like mating <laughs> season for seven more years and i was like it's a rock. <laughs> yeah, it's because like I think I think he started talking to her about sex, and she's like, "Oh," but she was happy that he didn't treat her like a child. Right. But yeah, he's like he's like my sexuality is of the multitude. I I thoroughly enjoyed it though. It was very Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Okay, I know he's based off of Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> but it just seems like a very uh, Leox thing to do. <laughs> very Leox thing to do. Yeah, the uh Well, cuz like Matthew McConaughey 
is one thing, but Leox, he's he's a whole nother being. He's he's more so to me like this is this is gonna be weird. It's gonna be slightly weird. Um you remember that movie we watched? I don't remember what it was called, but it's where the um what's his face from Friday Night Lights, Billingsley was like a cult leader. It's like a combination of that guy and Matthew McConaughey. You remember, like, it was a real, based on a real event. The guy down in Waco that had a cult. Oh. With, like, all the guns and they had a standoff. See, you know Is what? Is that it, weird? You know what it immediately reminded me of? Because it kind of sounds like him, too. So, F is for family. Mm-hmm. That neighbor. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man, you want to come over to my grill party? Yeah, anyway. All right, let's go back to Light of the Jedi. So, summary of uh, this chapter thus far is it alternates between the very, very uh, sexually deprived Pika Adrian um, to Lorna D, back to. uh, Mikel, right? Yes. And their very horny conversation with Tayami. See, it's not so much. It it just feels horny. It's not. It's just. I thought it was precious. See, I I'm getting different vibes from Yeah, this. see, I read it and was like, ooh. <laughs> anyway, um <laughs> back to uh Lorna D, back to the scattered remains of Tayami, finally and closing <laughs> Can you not say it like that? Finally and closing Lorna D admitting defeat and skedaddling through the remains of Tayami. <laughs> did that make me think of uh blues clues blues good dude so we can do woo you said skedaddle i don't remember that in blues clues what i'd like handy dandy notebook i remember no that. remember when they would like go into a book or something you'd be like blues good dude we can too woo no i don't you people out there know what i'm talking about Anyway, so yeah, we start off uh, the first part. I'm going to call this the first part of this chapter with Pika and Joss Adrian um, contemplating uh, Pika at first, initially contemplating the vacation she was supposed to go on. But as you know, when the government gives you the green weenie, you lose everything, including compensation for vacation. Who would know that? The guy who is in the military. Wow. Okay. Well, it does note that they were supposed to go on vacation to Am- Amphar. Um, Amphar. No. Sorry, I got black no. panther in my head. Amphar. Um, and this is the first, obviously, chronologically that we've heard this. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the first time we see it, period, in canon. Because um, we see it a lot in, in Legends. It's why we even know a little bit about any of it. So uh, the Amphar system is located in the Inner Rim. Um, and in Legends, it is just a tourist destination of warm beaches and tropical oceans. So there's that uh, little tidbit of Amphar. Oh, my God. I know, I'm right? fact-checking you. Sorry. Do you know the fact-check on Facebook isn't always accurate? I believe it. Anyway, so yeah. Um, I want to read you this passage because it's uh, very fascinating. Um, It's at the top of 264. She's contemplating about the vacation she's supposed to have. Ah, okay. She says, but still, 
She was supposed to be on the beach right now, wearing something tiny, sipping something delicious, lying next to her handsome husband, who was also in something tiny, thinking about later when they would both ditch even those tiny things and think of inventive ways to make each other feel good. Okay, time out. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought Joss looked like a brick. Isn't that as is? Isn't that how he's described earlier in the book? Wouldn't my wife want to see me in something tiny? You hate the beach. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I hate the beach so much. Like we're going on, you know, quote a vacation. LOL, not really a vacation this weekend. I don't and like you're not. Sand. You're pre- yeah. Amarillo is not a vacation. I don't like sand. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to a very sandy place. Amarillo about Marty. Oh my gosh! And you're probably not even go anywhere near the pool. Pool. Yeah, at the at a hotel, there's a pool. Why would anybody swim, period, with chlorine? My dad's almost done building his pool. I would never swim in it. Bet. I don't like the smell of chlorine. I don't like sand. It's coarse. Yeah, you know what? Are- having, having sand in my ass for like two years straight, not being able to wash it out just because you're pushing your ass in the field like that is worth in itself like never going on a beach or swimming ever again so speaking of sand i was watching rebels the other day oh god okay everything but light of the jedi i know i'm sorry (laughs) i've been going off to i'm i'm we need to finish i know but so i was watching rebels the other day and they actually made a comment about Sand. Yeah, it was. Um, They're on Geonosis, and there's mm-hmm. a sandstorm. And Sabine's like, "I hate sand. It gets everywhere." <laughs> and I died. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Rebels is actually high key funny in Clone Wars. Oh, isn't? I love Rebels. Anyway, if you don't like Rebels, then you have not watched it properly. If you think Clone Wars is better than Rebels, you right. I guess it's your own opinion, but. <laughs> okay. Get away from me. Lot of anyway, anyway. Uh, so. Yeah, so they are uh, working together with the rest of the team. Because um, they're going after like Anomaly 39 or something? Yes, and you know, Pika uh, has heard stories about what Kevin Tar and the Jedi have done. Well, and I, I really like um, this passage. It says, somehow the Republic had figured out how to predict where the emergencies were going to happen. She'd heard a story about some sort of mega processor made out of tens of thousands of droids linked to the force that could predict the future, but that surely had to be nonsense. Um, but, 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 and then, where is it at? Where is it at? About the wizard stuff. Oh, um. That's not highlighted. Did I not highlight it? No. Anytime she brings up space wizards, I, I just. I laughed out loud and went, ooh, a lot this chapter. Uh, especially with Lorna D naming her ship the Lorna D. Yeah. That's so stupid. <laughs> uh, I think it's later on. Maybe. Anyway. No, it's not. Uh, bottom of 265, it says, Privately, Pico was planning to just let the Jedi handle it. It as in um, Iriadu, the new elite, I'm pretty sure. Yes, about getting into a fight. Yeah, um, yeah. and she says, uh, I'd let the Jedi handle it if it came to that. She wasn't afraid of a firefight, but she had base, but she was basically a mechanic. She was more than happy to leave the combat to the highly trained space wizards. I love that they call them space wizards. Yeah, it really, really cracks me up. Also, a uh, mention of Utapau. Mm-hmm. 
do get that. There's a mention of Utapau, um, that there are food riots in the sinkhole cities of Utapau. If you don't know what Utapau is, have you ever even watched? Yeah, because you know, like, in Revenge of the Sith, when he goes in, it's a... That's what they're called? I guess. That's what Charles Soule is describing it as. Um, But Utapau, you know, 200 years later, at the end of the Clone Wars, it's where Obi-Wan fought General Grievous and the famous line, Hello there. (laughs) So uncivilized. Um, But yes, um, all this is happening. Pika's uh, contemplating her sex life and also these damn space wizards. And uh, here it comes, Josh says, 39th emergence in 5, 4, 3. And then something really cool happens. It goes 2, 1, and then it transfers over to Lorna D's crew on the Lorna D. That was a very... um, Cinematic. Yes, transition. That's a good word to use. um, I've mentioned this before, but this is like one of the most cinematic books I've ever read. I think The Rising Storm... It's pretty damn close up there, but like small things like this, I can picture it like in a movie. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. So, uh, we're introduced uh, to Lorna D again on the Lorna D. It's not just Lorna D. It's the Lorna D. It's the Lorna D. Lorna D loved her ship, and that was why she had named it after herself. Anyone who had an issue with that was welcome to discuss it with her so far. No one ever had. And we get a little bit here of the makeup of uh, the three Tempest Runners warships, um, which I thought was a very neat little um, tidbit, I suppose. Um, So first off, it goes on to describing Kassiv's new elite. um, And the interior felt like a trashy nightclub. (laughs) And... If you remember back to the chapter with Iriadu, um, with all of them, like, getting high, um, you know, I, I could see it. There's a specific card in Cards Against Humanity that I'm not going to quote because of my job. Why are you uh, bringing it up? Because it's so funny. It has to do with <laughs> um, illegal drugs and um, a clown. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. I just that that just kind of reminds me of Kasif's ship. I'll have to I'll have to tell you no, no. Um, And then we get Panada's ship, which he calls it. um, I'm assuming it's pronounced with a, um, like a Spanish Elegencia. Elegencia, maybe that's what. Oh well, that is uh, Mark Thompson uh, pronounces it uh, the Elegencia. Oh, see, I was kind of going for like a Spanish-ish vibe. I mean, um, you can Elegencia. name it Spanish. Um, I like Elegencia. According to Mark Thompson, uh, Panado sounds like this because it's a Duotin, so it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, and the Elegencia, Hencia, whatever you want to call it, was beautiful with surfaces covered in soft leather, lighting design, Designed to perfectly accent every lovely little taste, tasteful design choice he made. I don't see. I don't see this from. Panada. So he's uh, kind of like Kingpin. Yeah. From Daredevil. Yeah. What um, a poop. And then we had the Lorna D, which hers was like um, on the inside, kind of a more of a basic ship, 
but she had it outfitted with uh, all sorts of devices and shielding that made it all but impossible to pick up on a scan. Also, it, it, uh, it's uh, very efficient in hiding and striking. Yes. Uh, Not a full-on assault. Funny enough, Lorna D is predictable uh, because she named her ship after herself and it's designed to do the very thing that, well, she does as a person. So... You mean like stab and run? Well, she's very elusive. I think she's the one that killed Marquion's father, if we're being honest. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you know. know. I feel like you know. No, the rising storm doesn't answer it. There you go. There's the spoiler. I keep bringing this stuff up. (laughs) Uh, So, she's talking also about how Kasav is a dumb, dumb person. We all know that. Um, About how uh, her job there was to destroy the uh, flight recorder. And as this is happening, she is just... uh, It says here at the middle of page 267. uh, Iriaduans had splashed Kasav's name and specs of a ship all over the holonet. While there was no direct connection to the Nihil, that's important... That was still more heat than they wanted, and after all, Kasav had the nerve to come crawling back to the Great Hall. He'd offered up 30 million of credits he said he'd made on the Iriadu job and asked for protection. Hmm. Wasn't it more? Yes, it was. It was like 50 million. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure like everybody could think of Kasav and then like correlate it to somebody they went to high school with. Like five people are coming up. Starts with an A and ends with a Y. Which one? Dawson. I didn't think we weren't in <laughs> high school with him. Um, yeah, we were. I was thinking of uh, starts with a D and ends with an N. Um. Yeah. Or. Two L's. Yeah. Or um, who is the other one? Oh, I just had it on the top of my head. Okay, we can... Let's get back. Starts with an R and ends with a Y. Okay, well, let's get back. Anyway, <laughs> um, you've done some speculating in your private life about who Markeon Rose and her contact was. In my private life? I have made it personally, like... I've, I've verbalized it on here. You have built your identity around it. No. no. I've built my identity on around uh, me thinking... That, um, what's her face? The Chancellor is evil. Mama's wrong again. Well, you never know. She's the High not. Republic is not over yet. She's not. Just because it, she shows face in Rising Storm. She doesn't show face. <laughs> anyway, um, so we do find out that the aide of Senator Noor is the spy of Markian Rowe. She was mentioned in a previous chapter. I can't for the life of me remember what her name is. I can go and look. Because it was in the chapter where they were... Ah, here it is. Jenny Wataro. She was a Chagrian. Jenny. Jenny. Okay. What page are we on? I am on... Uh, 268. This is where the beefy stuff is going down. Uh, so they do a scan on the debris and they find out that it's not the recorder. In fact, it is a passenger compartment. So, uh, 
she was thinking about all the satisfying ways to uh, kill everybody there. Says she almost gave the order to fire. She wanted to. A spread of missiles could maybe take out all six ships and the legacy-run passenger compartment too. So fast they wouldn't even have time to realize. Satisfying, blah, blah, blah. But Markion had been extremely clear on the verge of actually trying to give her an order. Don't let them know you're here unless you have to. So yes, um, it says at the very bottom in closing this part of the chapter, set coordinates to get us out of here. Oh, that's right, because they have a little pathy path to get to the next spot very quickly. Yep. Um, but it says here, maybe she'd kill somebody today after all. I completely forgot about this chapter. So my assumption was that there was people in the compartment she was going to blow it up. Well. Nope. Somebody else instead. Yep. So, um... The bottom 269? Uh-huh. Yeah, so the bottom of 269, we go back into um, the long beam with Joss Adrian. Um, and they... Oh, okay, sorry. They... Three long beams and then the two vectors with Tayami and Mikkel Supmani are now heading towards the next emergence while one long beam stays behind to um, uh, assist the legacy run survivors of that fragment. Uh, it says here on 270, the traumatized settlers required medical and therapeutic assistance. A few of their number had died on the unimaginable journey and the horror of that experience would not be easily resolved. So it's my understanding it's been like weeks at this point yeah. where they're in there. Now we there's a whole lot about hyperspace that Didn't they say it was like eleven days? Isn't that a day that was mentioned here in I don't Maybe recall. I fell asleep and my brain was like eleven days and I woke up eleven days. Okay. Um, I know you know more about hyperspace because of reading the other books, but, um, I thought I was very confused because in this book, we hear from the Santecas Uh that you, Ooh, Santecas. Okay. Got more information on the Santecas. Let's go, buddy. uh, That you go into hyperspace at one point and then you come out at another point, kind of like a a wormhole. Isn't that what they said in here? They they don't know what we learn in out of the shadows. um, Spoilers for anybody who is not involved in out of the shadows. uh, Just forward like five, ten minutes, whatever, how long it takes. Um, What we learn from out of the shadows is nobody knows how hyperspace really works. Um, You we meet different uh, hyperspace experts on whether they when you jump into hyperspace you exit out of this plane of existence and show up in another plane of existence. Um, There are some people who think it's like a vacuum that you just travel safely through, but there's a lot of discussions around it. There's even discussions around um, machines that create like a planetary, like gravitation that can alter um, hyperspace and things like that. See, because it's confusing because after reading... Um, or, you know, in the process of reading Into the Dark, they wind up at the Maxine station because there's debris in hyperspace. So the whole going in at one point and coming out wouldn't make sense. Yeah. It would be the whole process that we kind of think beforehand from the movies is that there's just a wide open thing of space 
and you go through it really fast. Unless unless it's like um um like Quantum Mania and like Ant-Man where you shrink down. So like say for example you're traveling through hyperspace and you stretch kind of and like you're stretching. But that I mean that wouldn't really make sense because in the beginning of Into the Dark um they're stuck in hyperspace and Leox is like that looked like a piece of the legacy run. In hyperspace? Yeah. I don't remember this. It's it's towards the very beginning of Into the Dark, like right after they take off from Coruscant. Yeah, I don't remember this. So, I don't know. But then again, like one of the uh, fascinating things is if, you know, uh, they were in hyperspace and they did see something or something did show up on the radar, then you could still pop into your own plane of existence and be like, oh, there's a piece of the legacy run because the the pieces of the legacy run they don't they're just not flying everywhere they're popping in and out like we have a visual reference of um the anomalies and i think the high republic um adventures by idw where the anomalies are coming down and it's like a big giant wormhole over a planet that's shooting down debris what yeah that's so that's weird um our public adventure number one. So yeah, if I can find the picture, I'll, I'll uh, show you. So yeah. Okay, so um, if you go to the top of two seventy one, we get into this little um interaction between Taomi and Mikkel <laughs> that I utterly adore. Like I thought it was so cute. Um. Did you find it? I did. My Wi-Fi is acting poo-poo, though. No, no, not the do not disturb. The Wi-Fi, please. The Wi-Fi. Why is it acting up? There it is. 5G never works for me. Here, I'm going to pause it. So, yeah, that's what the IDW issue number one. You know, that looks like some... um, Looks terrifying. Well, it looks like uh, Avengers, uh, the first one. Oh, yeah, with the... the, the, the Over New York. The, um, um, oh, shit. Um, like the portal? No, I know. The Chimera. With the Chimera. Huh? With the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Those thingies. Yeah, so um, in my mind, before I even saw that or thought of that, the first thing that came up to my mind is I'm like, oh this piece of debris this one piece of debris is just moving so fast it just hits a planet and evaporates it i didn't think of it as like literally armageddon sorry it looks like we have some robins outside our window okay well please continue sorry anyway um so if you go to 271 at the top of it we have a little uh cute interaction between mikhail and tayami i thought it was precious tied you know went to the gutter oh hell yeah um so basically um actually it's the it's 270 the bottom of 270 to 271 um and this is Mikhail talking. He said, I was thinking, Tayami, after the episode at Iriadu, it seems clear that the Republic and the Jedi will be working to hunt down this Kasav person. Ooh, ooh, I was. Ooh, ooh, I have an idea. So why don't you be uh, Mikhail and I'll be Tayami? We'll do a little like dialogue. 
We'll so make, are we'll we make switching it... genders right here? <laughs> oh, then then I'll be Mikkel. Oh gosh, I don't like this, but okay. okay. I was thinking, Teami. After the episode at Iriadu, it seems clear that the Republic and the Jedi will be working to hunt down this Kasav person. I will be considering volunteering for that mission. It seems a good use of my skills. I was wondering if you might do the same. We work well together. That's clear. And you're a remarkable Jedi. I'd be proud to have you as my partner. <laughs> I'm so awkward. Okay. <laughs> do I do like an accent? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> That's too much pressure. Um. <laughs> Every time I go to read, I just start laughing. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm not attached. I just think we could do good work together. Bring a little light to the galaxy. Our skills are complementary. I think I'm going to report you to the council. Whatever you think is appropriate. That's when you laugh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway. I'm teasing you, Miguel. I'd be very pleased to partner with you on a mission. If the Council agrees, we'll get out of there and scour every last corner of the galaxy looking for... Sorry, I'm like crying right now. Anyway, so they start um, getting fired at. Missiles from where? Oh my god. The Lord of D is firing at them. They think it's Kasav, though. Um, because, well, as you know, in this book, they think Kasav is the Nihil, um, which is not necessarily the case. So, uh, Mikkel pulls his lightsaber from the holster, boom, activates it, screens go boom, and then they start scattering. <laughs> boom. <laughs> boom. You looking for this? That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, that's oh, a very great story. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> boom. Hello, um, <laughs> <laughs> <load> down <laughs> Oh, jeez. Um. So basically, uh, everyone realizes that the flight re- the flight recorder is in this fragment. Um, and I don't know if you already said that. I was too busy, like, wiping my That this wasn't the um, flight recorder? No, it is, right? That's not what Lorna D's person said. They just said it was a compartment. That's why she said that she was going to leave. This is the second one. This is the second emergence in their little time frame. Oh, then I don't know. Yeah, so the second one has the flight recorder. I don't recorder. know where that's mentioned. Um, 
So it does say on 272, second par- or third paragraph. Oh, wait. Just kidding. Where is it at? Um, it does say on 272, not explicitly, but it does say it didn't matter which as long as none of the projectiles reached the flight recorder. So you can uh, infer that it is on there. That's for sure. Um, yeah, because the Jedi are trying to save the flight recorder and Lorna D is trying to blow it up and go bye-bye. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we're back to Lorna D's perspective. Um, so Lorna D watched a few more missiles get shot down, uh, but she had plenty more missiles in reserve um, to deploy towards the Bragment. Um And it does say here on 273, it says, though, if it came to it, she would happily destroy every last one of these ships and the flight recorder, too. Happily. And I'm making note of that because she's... She's an interesting character because typically you don't really see females that are on, like... You know, it kind of... She reminds me a lot of... This is weird, I know. Um, she reminds me a lot of, uh, what is her face in Clone Wars? Asajj. Uh, just like wanting to do evil for evil and you don't really see like females doing that. And she's just like, gets a high off of I feel like Asajj is like slightly more complicated than that. And I feel like she's more so a weasel than she is. Lorna D is? No. Asajj. She's oh. more of a weasel than she is. Um, like, she can't stand up to Anakin by herself. Like, there's there's a front about her, and there's also a front about, like, there's a front about her, but there's also, like, this front about Darth Maul, and it's this cycle in the Clone Wars where it's, like, the Sith or the apprentices of the Sith or the next generation of Sith are always unsure of like their own abilities. Like Asajj, for all of her abilities and all of her looks, still couldn't beat Anakin in a one-on-one fight if if she wanted to. Lorna D, um, she can hold her own. Could she take on Markeon? She could take on a Jedi. Oh, does she take on a Jedi? (laughs) And, uh... Not walk away, but run away offensively. Not like, oh no, I'm running away, but like, okay, I'm done with you. Now I'm going to continue. But so no. she is an evil holding of her own person. She's steadfast. Because okay. um, we don't, we don't she, get a whole she, lot about her in this book. She's You get a lot in The Rising Storm. She's a brute force. She's so tiny. Not with her axe, though. Yikes. Yeah, so um, what we see here is Lorna D kind of uh, underestimating the Jedi, at least when it comes to ships and uh, flight ability. She winds up not underestimating them a uh, second time, especially on Valo. Um, but she is firing off all these missiles, and Mikkel and Teami are shooting these missiles from their project uh, projections, and it's actually pissing Lorna D off to the point where she absolutely decides to unleash all the missiles. But 
Before we get to that, as Tayami is shooting all of the pictures, um, blah, 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 blah. as Tayami, as Mikel is shooting all the missiles away from Tayami, right? Tayami, there's another missile. I can't. Yeah, as yeah. as Mikel is shooting all the 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 rockets away from Tayami. Um, Mikel tries like a last ditch effort to save Tayami's life, which would be, um, it says here in the middle of page 274, Mikel slammed his own vector forward, knowing once again that he didn't have time. He reached out with the force, knowing through any, through it, anything was possible, knowing he could reach the missile chasing Tayami's ship and he could cause it to veer off or detonate. He could sense it and its speed, its outline, the metal of the casing, the superheated exhaust gases, shoving it forward toward his fellow Jedi. Got it. Mikel almost had the missile. He could feel it. Almost as if it were gripped in his hand, he could destroy it. Blah, blah, blah. He squeezed the missile and suddenly in a blast of violent flame, it was gone but not by any action of his. It was gone, and so was Tayami. So, to kind of briefly go over this, this is what every chapter of The Rising Storm feels like. Just people dying? Well, not just that. Like, you don't know if they're going to die or not. Like, this this chapter reminds me of The Rising Storm. Lovely. This whole chapter. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, it's actually really great. Um, there's actually, I think, a chapter... Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, um... Da, da, da. Now... Anyway, go ahead. Um, so it's very interesting, honestly, what this does to uh, Mikkel. What it does gives me uh, a lot of Into the Dark vibes of how um, Colmec Vitus and... Uh, or Orla Jereni and Reef Silas all feel after uh spoiler after uh Des Ryden die. How they're very, very conflicted and they're not not necessarily conflicted, but their their emotions truly do come out and you don't typically see that with Jedi. And I mean you did with Anakin when yeah. his mom died. You saw that. But like with Obi-Wan, you don't really get that when Satine dies. Like, yes, he's sad, but he's not, like, mourning like a normal being would. Well, he says it in uh, Season 7, you know, when he's talking to, um, uh, um, help me out here. Help me out here. I really don't know where you're going. Satine's sister. Oh, Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. He said it the best in uh, season seven when he's talking to Bo-Katan, where she's like, uh, I thought you cared about my sister. And he's like, I did care, but I can't let my emotions cloud my judgment. It's inhuman. Yes, it's very inhuman. Yeah. Because they, I just got to a point in Into the Dark where they're like, you know, if you aren't given the proper time to mourn and to grieve then it's going to turn into something oh, yeah. like Comac. anger with with Comac, who his um his master 25 years previous died and he never properly was yeah. able to grieve it and he was still beyond frustrated 25 years later yeah so um it does say here on 275 it says that this is from Mikkel 
says Mikhail did not answer. He did not ask where this information had come from or any questions at all, really. He just pushed his control sticks forward as far as they would go, and his vector engines roared in response. I have work to do, he thought. So although he isn't supposed to have that attachment to Tayami, he did still, you know, th- there's a friendship there. Like, you're well, you're they, gonna they, have friends. They literally just had a conversation about it. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it was tongue-in-cheek, but... Like, really, though. And the entire High Republic thus far, and probably Phase 1, is um, Jedi coming to terms with grief. The amount of times that that conversation is brought up in these books is kind of ridiculous. Because... Well, because you don't see it, ever. Well, it's it's, it's not just that. It's that the rules of the Jedi aren't properly defined in the prequel trilogy. And every author is defining it not only for themselves, but for these characters. So you have Comac Vitus, who feels like the Council and the Jedi Order is kind of shortchanging human emotion, and that they're all arrogant and that they're all stupid. Like, Comac really goes into it and out of the shadows. Um, Test of Courage, you have Emery struggling and Vern yeah. bringing him back to life. And that struggle doesn't end in Test of Courage. Um, the Rising Storm, you have Bel Zedifard dealing with what he's dealing with at the end of this book. You have um, Elzar Man, you know, having the visions he has at the end of this book. Yeah. So it's people slowly coming to terms. Uh, you have um, uh, Keeve Trennis and Skier. Like, yeah. And Keeve literally being pulled into the hive mind that is the Drengear, only to come face to face with a, a Sith called Darth Crawl. Like, so these Jedi are having to confront um, fear. They're having to confront uh, pain and anxiety and depression head on to where there's not necessarily an answer for the Jedi. And like, and the only answer there is, is you just need to learn to control it, which, (laughs) which for so many, (laughs) for so many different Jedi, um, that's it. Are we really talking about Star Wars right now? Or are we legit talking about human life? Well, uh, well you can't because, talk about Star Wars and not include human life. Well, because the, 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 that's, that's what I'm getting at, though, is all of these things are very human things. And that comment you made about you just got to learn to control it. That's what we're literally told. Well, it's not just that. That's what Anakin's trying to do. Right. That's what the Sith are trying to do. They're trying to cheat cheat death. They're trying to overcome the natural inclinations. Like like um like in the Sith, like if you read the Bane trilogy, it, it's not canon, it's legends, it doesn't matter, it's still a story. Like if you read Bane, one of the important things about the Sith and training to be a Sith is overcoming passion, right? Mm-hmm. Or holding on to passion. Passion is like the biggest driving force for Sith the Sith. And the the Dark Brotherhood have moved away from the Sith, kind of. Like, they're still Sith, but they're called the Dark Brotherhood now. And they're trying to be an organized group to beat the Jedi so that the dark side doesn't succumb um, the Dark Brotherhood and continually eat each other, right? This is prior to the Rule of Two. Darth Bane created the Rule of Two, right? And But it's the very teaching that passion is the most important thing that Bane latches on to. And because of that, he goes in it balls deep all the way. And the Dark Brotherhood's like, bro, we let that go. And he's like, but you're Sith. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So it's like with the Jedi, 
it's like, well, how, how Master Yoda am I supposed to like let go of my fear? And he's like, you just need to let go of it. You know, so you're seeing you you see over time, you see that that the Sith and the Jedi have things in their teaching that almost contradict their message. Like if yeah. the Jedi is for life and life, you should acknowledge light and life. And you should also acknowledge death. Yeah. So that the people who are still alive can continue to put out your message of light and life. It's balance, you know. So uh, with that being said, uh, uh, Lorna D gets pretty pissed off and she fires off all of her torpedoes. She didn't even destroy um, the the thing. The flight recorder. Didn't even destroy it and that was her one order. Um, but you know, once she's gotten rid of all of her missiles, she doesn't she doesn't stand a chance. Like her yeah. her ship, as it uh, is mentioned, uh, also reiterates here on two seventy six. It said it was built to strike from hiding, kill its target, and leap away. It was light on armor, light on shields, and didn't have much in the way of laser cannons either. So she doesn't stand a chance in a full on assault. So yeah. she skedaddles. Doesn't doesn't it mention in here like her shit talking Marky on row? Um, I swear to God, there was some about her like like that she would kill Marky on row eventually. I think that was earlier in the chapter. If she did, yeah, I don't remember. I didn't put a note on there. Oh, it says here at the top of page two sixty nine. I'm sorry, I didn't note this before, but it highly important. It says she needed to put him. Marquion wrote in his place sometime soon. There was a hierarchy to be observed. So she's completely uh, aware of what he is doing. Honestly, she wished she could just take him out of the picture entirely. And if there wasn't a, such a good chance, she'd just end up fighting Cassava Panetta too. She'd probably take her chance. Win or lose, she doubted Marquion would blame her for it. That was the Nihil way. Which is funny because that's exactly what Marquion's trying to get away from. Yeah, he would definitely blame her. So, yeah. Um, um, so, what is the purpose of this chapter? Did we acknowledge that she uh, skedaddled? She yes. lost? Yes, okay. We did. The purpose of this chapter, uh, first and foremost, is to get a little bit of Lorna D because we've seen her. We've seen how calm and composed she is when she's around Marquion, Panada, and Kasav. Um, and now we actually see her in the field juxtaposed to Kasav. Now, Kasav is more sporadic and erratic. And Lorna D here is more composed, but she still has this, not really thrill, but this overconfidence mm-hmm. in, in, what she's, in what she's doing. Also, we do get some of the Adrian's personal relationship. We also get Mikel Sumani and uh, Taomi's relationship and... Uh, really the introductions to one of our Jedi that we've been introduced to dying. There will be many more of that. So I think this chapter is really just an introduction to other things. So the, the, the whole thing with how, um, well, okay, let me back up. So the way Mikkel responds to Tayami dying, I think that's a great juxtaposition to earlier in the book when Avar Chris was basically running the whole like let's move the the Tabana out yeah. of the way, and she just kept saying like people dying here and there, they're dying, yeah. they're dying, and she didn't acknowledge it at all. And she yeah. is more so great 
in the sense of following the Jedi rules, so to speak. The Force. The Force, yes. So if if uh, a couple hundred people die to save billions, it's the will right. of the Force. So she is very much like, um, I'll get over it. Like, yeah. not a big deal. I'm the way, quote, the Jedi should be. And then Mikkel, that is a preview of what we're going to see in Into the Dark. Um, Tayami dying is a preview of what we're going to see in Rising Storm. And it's a great introduction to what we're going to see the rest of the High Republic, I believe. So Yeah. Also, that note about Avar Chris, I believe that a lot of these Jedi start off as what the Jedi should be. Like, this book is about appearances. The cover is mm-hmm. a full front uh, comic book panel of jedi being heroic um and avar chris is the front and center of that and i think as time goes on and as we lose more people um out of the shadows and out of the shadows and the high republic comics right now are doing a good job of highlighting the fact that avar chris is slowly beginning to get frustrated and show emotion rather than just listen to the song of the force so i think that's the most uh, fascinating thing so with that being said, uh, we will get into our book club. If I can even log in, I can't log in. The Sacred Jedi Tech! The Sacred Jedi Tech! The Sacred Jedi Tech! Read them, have you? Page turners. They were not. So chapter 31, uh, book club. We have one entry from Jedi Master Garrick. And he said, a very exciting chapter that focuses on the Adrians and the Jedi's attempt to retrieve the Legacy Run flight recorder. I liked the banter between Mikkel and Tayami, whose death is the shocking moment in this chapter. I also liked that we dig a little deeper into Lorna D's mindset. Great chapter, fun, exciting, and eventually heartbreaking. So with that being said, go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at WayfinderPod. You can follow me at JavaWanawanga. You can follow me on Twitter at DarthLadyShaw. And you can follow our son screaming and me going to get him. Um, yes, we are all in the Republic. <laughs>